Peter Schiff, Chief Market Strategist at Euro-Pacific Asset Management, is back with us to give us his outlook for 2023. Welcome back, Peter. You've got some important messages for our investors, not just in the gold space, but everywhere else around. And uh, you are one of our more popular and uh, accurate analysts, if we count the fact that you've been calling for higher inflation to tick up for quite a while. We're going to get your inflation updated inflation outlook in just a bit. But first, I want to talk about your recent tweet that you made actually earlier today on the 22nd of December. You said on Twitter that the leading economy indicators show the recession will get much worse in 2023. The 1% decline in November comes on top of a 0.9% fall, fall in October. Recent renewed weakness in the stock market and more bad news on corporate earnings and the economy means December LEI will likely be even worse. Okay, which leading economic indicators are you referring to, Peter? Well, those are the ones that uh, are released. They were released earlier today, and it's a basket of, of indicators. In fact, okay. I think for this month, one of the ones that worked in the favor of the index was the stock market because it had rallied off the lows. But uh, that rally is quickly reversing. In fact, many of the most popular stocks are at 52-week lows. In fact, multi-year lows for many of these stocks today. But I think the bad news for the people still holding on to those stocks is it's a long way down. Uh, you know, they're, they're, even though they fall in a long way, they still have a long way to go because they were up at such ridiculous levels. In fact, some of these companies are going to go to zero because they're going to go bankrupt. And, you know, in the, in the environment of rising rates and higher inflation, a lot of these companies that have no earnings are going to have a difficult time staying in business. Okay, uh, I want to come back to the stock markets today as we're speaking on Thursday. Uh, big, big drops in stock markets. The S&P 500 is down 2.7%, the NASDAQ even more. But I'm going to come back to that. But let's talk about the economy at large first. Now, you're calling for a recession to get even worse. One would argue we're not in a recession yet. I've heard both sides of this debate. Some people have said to me, we're not definitively in a recession. Uh, things ha could get worse. Uh, they're not there yet. And of course, the NBER, the organization in the United States that officially designates recessions, haven't done so yet. How would you respond to the claim that we're not yet in a recession? Well, maybe we're not. Maybe it's a depression. And that would be the, the way that they would end up being wrong. But if you remember, the Great Recession started in 2007. But I was doing interviews on popular uh, shows in mid-2008, and they were saying there's no recession. So what happened was all these economists went backwards and revised down all the data, and then they said, okay, I guess we were in recession. They didn't even think a recession was coming. But the fact of the matter is we were actually in one at the time, and they couldn't even see that. And I think this is the same situation today. You know, we actually had negative quarters the first two quarters were negative the third quarter in fact you know we got some numbers out on that today i mean it was up maybe three percent or so but all of that was due to the improvement in the trade deficit during that quarter and a lot of that resulted from the fact that we were able to export a lot of the oil that we were pulling out of the strategic petroleum reserve uh, but we're going to exhaust that reserve sometime next year. So that's not going to be able to offset our trade deficits. But also we had the big rise in the dollar. Well, in the fourth quarter, we've had a big fall in the dollar. It hasn't lost all of its gains yet, but I think it will in 2023. But as the dollar weakens, that's also going to push up our trade deficits because it increases the cost of all of our imports. So I think the help that we got in Q3 was a one-off quarter. Uh, we may end up with a negative print for Q4. We'll see. But I think we're going to get quite a few negative prints 
in 2023 as more air comes out of this bubble. And then I think it's going to be very hard for the recession deniers to continue uh, to you know, put a positive spin on this economy. They're going to have to admit that we're in recession. The question is, is the Fed going to change course as a result of that admission? Or is it going to continue uh, with the rate hikes and quantitative tightening, uh, making a bad situation worse, which you know, is what it should do? But the question is, will it do that? You mentioned the dollar weakening next year. Now, one of the reasons for a strong dollar this year was uh, the spike in the short end of the curve because the Federal Reserve kept raising interest rates uh, seven times now, I believe. Peter, why do you think the dollar is going to weaken? Are you assuming the Fed's going to be less hawkish next year? Well, I think the real reason that the dollar rose was not just that rates rose. But that the markets believed that these rate hikes were going to work in that they were going to bring down the inflation rate. The Fed said that we're going to return inflation to 2% and we're going to do whatever it takes to make that happen. And the markets basically took the Fed at its word. And so they bought the dollar on the idea that, you know, these high rates were going to produce positive real returns for dollars. But I think as the markets come to terms with reality that despite the rate hikes, inflation is not going down to 2%. In fact, it's more likely to head higher after this you know, brief dip that we've had. And so that e- even though the Fed has raised rates, rates are still negative from a, a real term. And if you have negative real interest rates, that is not a uh, incentive to hold dollars. That's an incentive to sell dollars because the interest mm-hmm. that you earn is not high enough to compensate you for the purchasing power that you lose. And, and so when uh, investors figure this out, I think the dollar is gonna fall sharply and that's going to exacerbate the, the problem that the Fed is dealing with because the strength of the dollar limited the rise in consumer prices in the United States in 2022. So even though prices were up a lot, they would have been up even more had the dollar not been strong relative to other currencies. Well, if the dollar really weakens in 2023, that's going to add additional upward pressure to already rising consumer prices. It's 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 it is very I want to talk about inflation just a bit. It is kind of ironic that the dollar strengthened so much relative to other currencies while domestically inflation was at all time highs. You would expect, you know, inflation and and the currency to be two sides of the same coin of the dollar. If sorry, inflation goes high, you would expect the currency to weaken. Well, remember, all these countries were experiencing inflation. Most of the eurozones, their inflation rates were higher than ours. I mean, they're still looking at you know, over 10 percent year over year inflation rates uh, in many European countries. So all currencies were losing value. It's just that on a relative basis, you know, it's like if if I'm going backwards at 10 miles an hour and the car next to me is going backwards at 20 miles an hour relative to the car going backwards at 20 miles an hour, I'm I'm moving forwards, (laughs) but I'm not moving forwards. And in, in reality, I'm still I'm still going backwards. And so even though the dollar was strengthening, relative to the euro or the yen, it was still losing value in real terms, just it was losing value more slowly than the euro or the yen. I think the difference in 2023 is we're going to lose value more rapidly. So the euro and the yen will continue to lose value, but the dollar will go from losing value slower to losing value faster. You, you mentioned that inflation will probably tick back up in 2023. Let's talk about that. So 
In the last six months, CPI has peaked at 9.1. Well, headline CPI peaked at 9.1% in June, and it's been slowly ticking down ever since. We're now in the sevens. Uh, let's talk about that first before we talk about the future. What happened over the last six months? Why did we get an increase or decrease, rather, in the CPI print? Well, you know, some of it was the strong dollar, and so that reduced our import prices. Uh, also, we had a correction in energy, oil in, in particular. And so, you know, that helped take some of the uh, sting out of the CPI. Other commodities also pulled back. So on the headline number, we, we got some relief. But of course, on the core, not so much. A lot of the mm -hmm. prices continued to rise, even as some of the headline numbers were coming down. But also remember, prices continue to go up. It's not like they're coming down. They're just going up a little more slowly than they were going up before. But if prices were too high, even a little increase is still a problem. What we need is for prices to go down. You know, we need to, you know, for prices to uh, recover uh, or for consumers to recover some of their lost purchasing power by having consumer prices actually fall. But that ain't going to happen. Right. All we can hope for is that they rise more slowly. In fact, that's what the Fed's goal is. The Fed's goal isn't to reduce prices. The Fed's saying that we're hoping to reduce the annual increase to 2%. But those 2% increases are going to come on top of all the increases that preceded them. So if yes. prices go up, I think over the last two years, they're up better than 15%, even the way the government measures them. In reality, they're probably up closer to 30%. But even if they start going up 2% from here, we're going up 2% from a much higher level you know, than we were at before. But of course, we're not going down to 2%. We're, we're, we're not even getting anywhere near 2%. Before I, we get close to 2%, we'll be above 10%. I noticed in your answer, you haven't once said that inflation came down from 9% because the Fed raised rates. That wasn't, that wasn't well, an issue for you? I don't know that the rate hikes had much to do with it, other than okay. maybe they had something to do with the break in commodity prices temporarily. Because remember, those ri rising interest rates actually feed into higher consumer prices because really? people forget that, well, interest rates are prices, right? And, and so like hmm. any other price, they get factored in to end finished goods. Like if, if I am a business. It's an interesting perspective, yeah. I have labor costs. I have raw material costs. Well, I also have interest rate costs. Maybe I borrowed some money uh, to build a plant or whatever I'm doing. And, and so I, I, have to, I have to pay interest on my debt. Well, if interest rates go up, well, that's a cost of doing business. Well, well that's, I might have to raise prices to cover that. Same thing if you're a landlord. What if I own a bunch of apartment buildings and I have debt on those apartment buildings? Yes, I have costs that I need to recover, but one of those costs is the interest on the money I borrowed. So I may have to raise rents on my tenants to cover yes. the higher cost of servicing the money I borrowed uh, to, to buy the apartment complex in the first place. So as the Fed is raising interest rates, that is also working to raise prices. Let me just push back slightly, Peter. Now, I'm just playing the devil's advocate. There's nobody here to debate you, so I got to do that part. <laughs> uh, Peter, uh, one could argue that you're right. Yeah, you have to 
businesses have to raise their prices to keep their margins up. But one could also argue that because of this coming recession that you're talking about, they can't keep that up for much longer. Because remember, higher interest rates also mean higher mortgage rates. It means people have to pay more to service their homes. Their credit card balances are up, as you know. Their credit card interest payments go up. Everything's just going up for the consumer. They have less money going forward to buy stuff. And so businesses can't keep their prices up for much longer or they're going to have no business at all. Eventually, they'll have to be forced to just suck up the lower margins, right? Well, no, they're not going to suck up the lower margins. They'll go out of business, you know, and, and, mm. and, and then the ones that remain will have less competition and then they'll be able to raise prices. But take a look at the example of houses. Yes, higher mortgage rates mean that house prices are going to come down. They've already started to come down. But the cost of owning a home is not going down. The cost of owning a home is going up. The cost of buying a home is going up, even if the price is down. Because when you buy a house, the price is not even that important for most people because they mortgage. the price. They don't have the money. They have to borrow it. And even if the price goes down 10 or 20%, based on how much higher the mortgage rates are, it's actually more expensive to buy a cheaper house today because of your monthly payments. But your monthly mortgage payment is not it. What about your maintenance? What about your utilities? What about your insurance? These costs are going through the roof. So it's more and more expensive to own a home, to live in a home. These costs are going up, even if the price of the house goes down. And remember, during all these years where we supposedly had no inflation, real estate prices were going up. Well, during the, the, the rest of this decade, when we have high inflation, real estate prices are probably going to be going down. Okay. I have one more counter argument to your higher yeah. inflation outlook, and then I'll just ask you for your outlook. Uh, I, I've made a chart myself showing the uh, growth of the M2 money supply overlay with annual CPI change. So inflation versus the money supply. And actually what happens is, Peter, I'll show this chart on the screen later. If you take the growth of the money supply and you, and you graph that next to C, the, the inflation rate and you, and you lead the growth of the money supply by one year, in other words, it becomes a one year leading indicator, there's a very close, if not near perfect correlation between the growth of the money supply advanced by one year, and the inflation rate. What we've seen, interestingly, is actually the growth of the money supply, not the absolute level, but the growth of the money supply has collapsed over the last six months. It had a huge spike up during COVID, as you know, but just in the last six months, it's collapsed. And so if you lead this chart, it looks like it's indicating lower inflation for next year. Uh, is that is that How would you respond to that analysis? Well, first of all, I think that there's a lot of inflation in the pipeline that goes back a lot more than a year. I think you've okay. got to go back and look at a lot of the money supply growth, you know, particularly since the 2008 financial crisis. And so a lot of that inflation ended up in financial assets more so than consumer prices. And I think that we're seeing the migration of that inflation uh, out of those financial prices into the real economy, into consumer goods. So I think it's a lot more than a year. I think we're, you know, we're barely catching up to <laughs> inflation that we created All a right. decade ago. Uh, so, you know, we need a much bigger contraction in the money supply uh, than we've got. And we're not going to get it because the problem is before the Fed makes any real headway in shrinking its balance sheet, the economy is going to be so weak. I mean, either we're going to be in another financial crisis or on the cusps of one that the Fed is going to reverse. And before you know it, the money supply is going to be exploding again. 
except it's not going to be exploding when inflation is below 2%. It's going to be exploding when it's still well above 2%. And then that's going to help send it, you know, up into the stratosphere. Okay. So what is your inflationary outlook next year? You said it's going to recover. We're tick up from here. We're currently at 7.1%, I believe, with the latest headline number. Do you think we'll stay within the 7 to 9% range? Or do you think we'll reach new all-time highs and breach even the last high, which was 9.1%? What do you think is reasonable well, for you? Well, we could end up breaking that range in both directions. Maybe we'll go below 7% before we go above 10%. Mm. But I think we're going to take out the highs from 2022 before the end of 2023 on a year over year basis. But, you know, even if we don't take out the highs in 2023, we'll take them out in 2024. I mean, inflation is here to stay, right? The days of, you know, sub 2% or anywhere near 2% inflation are over. We're now going to pay the piper uh, for uh, decades of inflation that uh, central banks have created. Uh, And now we're going to have to deal with the consequences. You're, 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 I think the assumption here you're making is that the governments have failed or is going to fail in bringing inflation down. One of the questions that everybody I know personally is asking me, what can be done to bring down inflation? They're not forecasting higher or lower inflation. They're just asking me, David, what can the authorities do or the people in power do to help alleviate this situation? Assuming you're right, Peter, that's assuming that the authorities fail. What can they do to not fail? In other words, Assuming inflation goes down, what needs to be done to create that result? Well, first of all, you have to realize that we have erected an entire phony economy on a foundation of inflation. So if we're going to rid the economy of inflation, we have to be prepared for that entire structure to topple. So there's going to be a lot of bankruptcies. There's going to be a lot of losses. There's going to be a lot of unemployment. A lot of things are going to have to happen. It's not that you have to cause all this to stop inflation. It's just that if you do stop inflation, all this is going to happen because all of this was the result of inflation. Every time we've had a problem, the Fed's solution has been create more inflation. Mm-hmm. Well, now the problem is inflation, right? The solution has become the problem and you can't solve that problem with the same solution. You have to acknowledge that everything you did in the past to solve the problem actually made the problem worse. It just postponed the consequences until the future and you know we've caught up with it right we kept kicking the can down the road and now we've caught up to the can and and there's no more road so we have to be prepared for the collapse but also we have to understand that inflation is not here by accident inflation is a method by which government pays for spending governments can pay for spending through taxation or through inflation and our politicians and a lot of other politicians have chose inflation. Why? Well, because the public doesn't realize that inflation is a tax. If the government raises taxes to pay for spending, then the public gets mad because they see the money coming out of their paychecks and they know where it's going. It's going to Washington. So what happens is we run these big deficits. Governments spend a lot of money. They don't raise our taxes. But now because they're printing money instead of just taking our money, but they're spending that new money into circulation, the price of everything goes up. We just don't realize that that's a tax because the government can blame it on Putin or they can blame it on COVID or, you know, whatever they want. Greedy corporations gouging their customers. So if we want to stop taxing the people through inflation, we have to either tax them another way or we have to cut spending. In other words, we have to balance the budget the opposite of what they just did. I think yesterday they just passed 
this omnibus spending bill, another $1.7 trillion, that's throwing gasoline on the inflation fire. So in order to fight inflation, the government is going to have to come clean and either raise taxes dramatically on the middle class and the working poor, which I don't think is a good policy. The alternative, a better policy, is to cut government spending. But it has to be widespread spending across the board. I mean, we just gave another, what, $45 billion check uh, for the Ukraine. Yeah. We don't have that money. You know, I mean, we, we, we should be trying to get peace in the Ukraine, not funding war with mm-hmm. money that we don't even have. I mean, if we're going to war against inflation, we, you know, we, we can't do this. But we have to cut spending on everything. Medicare, Social Security, Obamacare, government pensions, military. We have to cut back on what we're spending on the military. Right. Instead, instead, we're spending more. I think you should. I think you should. You think you should run for office again, Peter, and uh, institute some of these policies. But uh, that's a discussion for another time. It's the problem is it's not it's not a good uh, campaign to get votes. That's the problem. I'm promising to take stuff away. You know, politicians want to give stuff away. I'm not a politician, but I would I would think that if I were in government, where at least running the budget, I would think that it's probably more prudent if I were given the choice between aiming for inflation or taxation to just raise taxation. Yes, you're right. It's not a popular policy. But remember, inflation affects government outlays, too. If I'm spending money on infrastructure, that's all going up because of inflation. Right. So I have to spend more money. Hurts right. Me. But nobody votes. Nobody votes for inflation. You don't have to go on record and say, I vote for higher inflation, but yeah. you have to vote to cut spending. You have to vote to raise taxes. So mm-hmm. politicians always take the easy way out. So they, they, they want to spend money and then they want to blame the inflation on somebody else. And, and, and that's what they're doing now. And that's what they're going to continue. So you to think do. Congress and needs to spend continue. less money. Congress needs to just spend less money for inflation to cut, come back down. Yeah, unless we get cuts to government spending, inflation okay. is not going to come down. And, and of course, the other thing that has to happen is that interest rates have to rise to a level that exceeds the inflation rate by a comfortable margin. Yes, I have heard because that, Because yeah. what, ne- what needs to happen in order to bring down inflation is we need people to stop spending and start saving. And so why would people save? Well, if they can earn a yield that exceeds the inflation rate, then they're going to get paid to save. Then they'll do it. But if you still hold interest rates below the inflation rate, nobody's going to be dumb enough to save. Everyone's going to spend their money as soon as they get their hands on it. And that is going to make the inflation problem worse. Also, when you look at prices, you have two things going on. You have demand, but then you also have supply. Mm -hmm. And so demand is being fueled by money printing and spending. But we need more supply. Well, if we have less spending and more savings, you kill two birds with one stone because that reduces the, the demand but it increases supply because the money that is saved is then loaned out to businesses to make investments in capital that can increase productivity. So by encouraging savings and discouraging spending, we get less demand and more supply, and that helps reduce prices. But we're not doing that. We're not getting extra savings, so we're not getting additional supply. Yeah. And we're just and consumers are are running up their credit cards, their all time record highs. Yes. Maxed out on mortgage debt, maxed out on 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 auto loans. Everybody is borrowing and spending. So prices have got nowhere to go but up. So I think your view is that we'll have stagflation next year, recession coupled with higher inflation. Um, that is a yes, view shared except- by many. Yeah. 
Except I think they're going to have to come up with a, another word because it, what we're going to experience is going to be much worse than the 1970s. I've been calling it an inflationary depression because mm. it's going to be much worse than a recession. It's not, and it's going to be very high inflation. Well, let's talk about the, what, what the market is going to do in this inflationary depression. Did you coin that term, by the way? I've never, is that, is that, a, is that a Peter Schiff Oh, I've been using it term? for a while. Okay. <laughs> All right. I haven't heard that yet before, but we can start using that. Inflationary depression. What happens to markets? Look, we know what happens to markets during a recession. We know what happened to markets during 1929 and 1930. What's going to happen to markets during an inflationary depression? Well, so during the 1930s, we were on a gold standard, so we had real money. And so we had a depression, but prices came down. And prices coming down was actually a good thing. It provided some relief uh, to uh, people uh, because the cost of living went down, the value of money went up. But, you know, a lot of people think that the reason we had a depression was because prices went down, which is not true. Prices went down as a result of the, the depression, but it didn't cause it. And in fact, it did provide some relief. But the whole idea that if prices are coming down, we should worry that it might cause a, a, a recession is, is nonsense. It's like, you know, trying to blame the rain on, on wet sidewalks. They, ha they have it, they have it re in reverse. But what's going to happen during this inflationary depression is going to be very different because we're not on a gold standard anymore. We're just on a, we're on no standard. We just have fiat and the government's going to print even more of it uh, to try to prop everything up and bail everybody out and prevent politicians from having to make the difficult choices of cutting government spending. They're just going to print money and give it to the government so they can spend that. Uh, so it's, you know, it's going to be very different. I think that the nominal level of a lot of stocks, those prices are going to go up for a lot of stocks. Uh, but in real terms, if you price them in gold, they're still going to go way down. Uh, so stock prices are going to come down in, in terms of real money, but they're going to go up in terms of funny money. Now, mm. some companies' stock prices won't go up because these companies are going to go bankrupt. And so they go out of business, the stock is zero. Which sector is going to uh, go bankrupt also, most? Which sector is going to go bankrupt? Well, the companies that are, it's not necessarily any specific sector, companies that don't have, that don't make a profit, okay. that aren't going to be able to survive. Uh, and also companies that are relying on advertising, that don't really have a product that they price, but they're just like living off of. Now, they might not go bankrupt. Maybe they can reinvent themselves on a smaller scale and try to find a way to, to pay the bills. Mm -hmm. uh, but, but also there's a lot of companies that are gonna have to uh, downsize or you know, reduce their scale to try to find the point where they can operate properly you know, on, on, on a smaller scale. But, you know, there's been a lot of stocks, too, that were so inflated during the bubble uh, that they, they still need to fall dramatically. Uh, even if inflation is there, you know, this, the prices of these stocks still have to come down a lot. But there are a lot of companies that the stock price is going to go up. Now, unfortunately, most Americans don't own those stocks or they don't have a lot of money in them because they have all their money in the bubble stocks uh, because the bubble stocks were the ones that were delivering the best returns on paper uh, and that's what everybody was, was was chasing and unfortunately those stocks dominate the indexes so it's possible that the s p 500 could end up lower at the end of the decade uh, because of the, the weighting of those stocks but within the s p within those 500 companies there's going to be you know a number of them that that that, that go up uh, the, the key is to just buy those <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna come back to that. I'm not gonna let you off the hook. I'm gonna ask you specifically what you like and don't like towards the end of the interview. So stay tuned. 
Uh, we'll ask Peter for his uh, investment uh, outlook. Uh, Peter, one of the most obvious correlations this year was the negative correlation between the stock markets and rising interest rates, both in terms of the 10-year and the Fed funds rate. Is that too simplistic a statement to make that stocks went down because rates went up this year? Well, no. I mean, that that's one of the reasons they did go down. I mean, stock prices are inversely valued uh, based on interest rates. I mean, that's just basic stock market because in essence, a stock is the present value of its future earnings. And in order to determine the present value, you have to discount it by an interest rate. And the higher that interest rate is, the lower the present value of those future earnings become. So all else being equal, if interest rates go up, stock prices should come down. And in fact, that's what happened. And the same thing with bonds. Of course, we all know that if interest rates go up, then bond prices come down. They're the opposite of rates. And, right. and that's what happened. Then, of course, bonds you know, do represent some type of competition for stocks. People can buy bonds or stocks. And so you know, if bond prices are falling and the yields are rising, then you know, uh, stock prices could fall as well. In fact, one of the reasons that they kept saying the stock market wasn't overvalued is they kept comparing it to the bond market, which was yes. also overvalued. Well, well, now they're both coming down and they both have a long way to fall. In fact, I think there's more risk in the bond market than there is in the stock market. Uh, let me just make a statement, Peter, and please correct me if you disagree yeah. with this uh, theory that I've just uh, come up with. You're, you're saying that, yes, this is the, the value of a stock is a present value of future cash flows. Now, let's assume that interest rates go up marginally next year, uh, continue its upward trajectory, but you're saying inflation is also going to go up. By that, by that measure, Peter, wouldn't, wouldn't businesses that are still in business, not the ones that are bankrupt, of course, but the businesses that are still in business, they have to raise their prices, and so their cash flow stays relatively constant in nominal terms, right? And so the present value of that business doesn't really change because the prices go up. Yeah. Well, first of all, the present value is not cash flow, but, but earnings. Because, okay. I mean, cash flow doesn't mean anything if I don't have a profit, right? So Fair. I got to make money. And then I have to use that money to either buy back stock or pay out dividends. But I have to, you know, distribute the returns to, uh, to investors. But yes, you're right. I mean, and in an inflationary environment, like the one that we're in, and that we're going to be in for a long time, you want to own companies that are selling products and services that people need and they will pay for. They will continue to buy even if the price goes up. They will give up other things in order to keep buying what you're selling. And to the extent that they have to cut back on how much they buy, they're still going to buy something even if they buy less. Uh, whereas there are a lot of companies that are selling products that people only buy after they buy all the things they need. Then if they have any money left over, they buy these other things that they want. You don't want to own the companies that sell those things because they could lose their entire business. Mm -hmm. right? People just give up because they, they don't have any money left over. After you, after you pay your rent, after you pay your, your, your electricity, after you buy the food, you know, pay, you know, pay your insurance, pay your taxes. I mean, pay all the things you have to do. If there's nothing left over, well, there's nothing left over. And if you can't go out and borrow it anymore, there's no credit floating around anymore uh, because everything is tightening up. Well, a lot of these companies are going away. So you want to own companies that have pricing power, but also in an inflationary time period, you want to own real stuff. You want to okay. own companies because they own real assets. They have resources, uh, they have plant and equipment, they have things that have value that will hold value even as paper claims 
are losing value. So I'd rather own equity in the company than be a bondholder. Because what inflation ends up doing is it ends up transferring wealth from creditors to debtors. So I'd rather own the company than the bonds of the company, which are going to be eroding away in value uh, because of inflation. All right. So stay away from bonds, stay away from certain risky stocks uh, that are more sensitive to rate hikes, I guess. Peter, our viewers want to know, how are you positioned? How is your portfolio positioned into 2023? In other words, how do you ensure that you're not going to lose money in this inflationary depression scenario? Well, insure is well, kind of a all, strong word. Yeah. Nobody can insure anything. How are you, you know, how are you hedged? Yeah. Let's, let's put it that way. Well, you know, I got the same portfolio I've had for a, a decade. I mean, I haven't really changed. Okay. So, I mean, I saw this, I saw this train wreck coming from a mile away. That, that, my problem is I saw it too clearly and I saw it too early. But at least I saw it because most people still have no idea what's coming and they're, you okay. know, they're going to die in this wreck. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm all buckled up and ready to go. Um, but so I own value stocks. I own dividend paying stocks and, you know, they've outperformed dramatically this year and over the last several years. And I'm quickly catching up to the underperformance for the last 10 years. I mean, I'm, I've actually if you look at me relative to my peers in international investing, I'm now at the top of the pack over the last three and five years. So I made up a lot of lost ground, but I still have ground to cover to catch up to the S&P. But I'm, I'm quickly, uh, you know, catching up. And I think maybe by the end of next year, I'll, I'll surpass it over a longer time period because air is you know quickly coming out of the bubble and i think there's going to be a gaping hole in that bubble next year so a lot more air is going to come out but i own non-us stocks mainly because i think the dollar is going to weaken okay. and i think we have a lot of political uncertainty here as a result of uh how the government is going to react to how bad the economy is going to be uh so i'm worried about regulation and taxation so i think we're i think it, it's less political risk in the countries I'm investing in abroad, much better valuations. The stocks are much cheaper. The dividend yields are much higher, and I'm getting revenue in foreign currencies. I own a lot of resources, you know, yes. energy, which has done very well, obviously, this year. But I've been in energy for a while. But also uh, minerals, uh, agriculture, emerging markets, which I think are very cheap right now uh, on a relative basis compared to the developed markets. So I think those. Uh, stocks are going to do very well in an inflationary decade with a weak dollar. Okay. Can you give um, us you know, one or two countries that you are invested in outside the U.S. that you think will do relatively well next year? Countries? Yeah, well, it's, we're not in, in, any loaded up in any one country. We're okay. more, you know, of a stock specific. specific okay. But we, you know, we're we're in. You, you know, don't you don't go top web... down. You pick a country first, and then you look for the sectors. In no, that country. well, obviously there are some countries that we could eliminate if we just okay. don't like the the, the policies. If for sure. You know, the, you know, but but a lot of it is more the sector and the type of company uh, that it is. Um, you know, you can look at the, some of the holdings that we have. We have a lot of positions in in Southeast Asia, in Western Europe, some in South America, Australia, New Zealand. I mean, you know, we're around, you know, in North America, we have some investments in Canada. But of course, most of those investments up there, and this is Kitco, so we might as well talk about gold. Yes. And we have a, a, a good exposure to gold. In fact, one of the funds I manage is all gold, right? The Euro Pacific Gold Fund. And we do manage a lot of accounts that are exclusively in the mining sector. And I am very bullish. You know, obviously, I've been bullish for a while, uh, but I mean, I'm even more bullish now to the extent that that's possible based on what's been happening. But you know, I do expect 
significantly higher uh, gold prices, silver prices. Okay. And, um, you know, these stocks are very cheap. They're probably as cheap as they've been, uh, both in absolute and relative terms. They're so underowned. Nobody in the institutional community really has any kind of position uh, in this sector. I think by the end of the decade, they'll all have positions in this sector. Uh, but of course, the stocks are going to be much more expensive at that point. Uh, so don't wait for the crowd to figure it out. You sure. want to anticipate where the crowd is going to be and you get there first. And I've been there for a while. It's been kind of lonely, you know, waiting for the crowd. Uh, but there's a few more people now showing up. But it, it's going to be a hell of a party, uh, I think, by the end of the decade. <laughs> so but you know, so you're, you're bullish on gold for the rest of the decade or 2023 specifically? No, no, the whole the rest of this decade and, okay. and, and probably more. I mean, it, it, gold moves in, in big cycles, you know, okay. um, and. You know, I think this bull market really started in 2001, you know, so, you know, we're 20 years into it, but we had a pretty big, uh, you know, correction from 2011, you know, to 2015. Uh, that's when we bottomed out. You know, we've been moving up since then, but, yeah. you know, we haven't really taken out the highs from 2011. We got above that high in 2020, but I mean, not, you know, not even maybe 10% or so. We took it out briefly, but all we've done is really set up a double top. Uh, and I think we're going to take that out. And then uh, that double top is going to be the new floor. Uh, and there was also, you know, a sideshow going on uh, in Bitcoin that, yeah, let's you know, for a that. while kind of e e eclipsed gold. And so it, you know, stole a gold spotlight for a while because, you know, while gold was going nowhere, Bitcoin went from nowhere, you know, to 60,000, 70,000 of Bitcoin. Right. And everybody who, who got involved in this on paper anyway, uh, they they all were rich and some of them actually got rich because they cashed out and they and they sold Bitcoin and, and they bought real things with it. Uh, so yeah. there are people that got in early that 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 got out and, and, and got rich. Yeah. But that's an interesting uh, perspective that you think that Bitcoin stole gold thunder. I mean, you've been on record even on the show saying that Bitcoin is not digital gold. You've made your case no, very clear. So no, so why not. would people why would people who would buy gold buy Bitcoin then? I mean, they're just well, different. Things. I don't think. Well, I don't think there were that many. I think okay. to some degree, uh, people that were frustrated gold bugs got mm -hmm. into Bitcoin, you know, because that's Bitcoin was performing, right? It was going up while gold was was going sideways. But Bitcoin was marketed as digital gold. That was a whole selling point. Hey, gold is obsolete. Gold is irrelevant. Uh, you got Bitcoin. And I think that that on the margins, took away some demand from gold. I mean, maybe there were some institutions that would have bought gold, but because Bitcoin was there competing with it, they didn't buy gold. Maybe they didn't buy Bitcoin either, but they thought, well, you know, why buy gold? Because, you know, there's Bitcoin and I, you know, I, I don't know. I, I think that it, it certainly took away some of uh, gold's thunder. A, a lot of the talk on the financial networks uh, was about Bitcoin. It yes. wasn't about gold. It was, you know, Bitcoin, Bitcoin, Bitcoin. And, and and so, you know, but meanwhile, the smart money was buying gold the whole time that everybody was talking about Bitcoin. It was the dumb money that was that, that was being suckered in uh, to Bitcoin. But I think that now that the Bitcoin bubble has popped and over the next several years, the air is going to be coming out. I don't see that problem anymore from a marketing perspective for gold. I mean, nobody is going to be comparing Bitcoin to gold. Nobody is going to be talking about it as digital gold, as a safe store of value, as an inflation hedge. Everybody has pretty much come to the conclusion 
that it's a speculative asset. The problem is, what exactly are you speculating on? Because there's no value there. Uh, you know, so if it's not digital gold, what is it? It's nothing. Wait, you, know, you, it's just you, just the, you just said the Bitcoin and crypto bubble has popped. Does that mean you're getting in at the, at the bottom now? It's, it's popped, so it can't no, get no, in. No, no, no. Is, that, is that what you're saying? <laughs> no, no, it's popped, but there's still a lot of air that's going to come okay. out. Look, these, these tokens are worthless. There's no value. Even when Bitcoin is down 95%, 99%, I still wouldn't buy it. Because when it loses that last 1%, that's 100% from where I would have bought it. And I don't want to throw away my money. Fair enough. Fair you know, enough. But uh, I, you know. I'm going I'm to read you some news items and we'll finish off on crypto. Um, you know, the crypto space has seen challenges, to say the least. FTX collapsed, Celsius collapsed, uh, Voyager, uh, 3AC, a bunch of funds. This came in from the, uh, the central bank governor of India. This is news I'm reading out of today or yesterday, actually. India's central bank governor has predicted that the next financial crisis will come from private cryptocurrencies if they are not allowed to be regulated. Sorry, if they are allowed to be regulated and not banned outright. He said, our view is that it should be prohibited because if you try to regulate it and allow it to grow, please mark my words, the next financial crisis will come from private cryptocurrencies. <laughs> What's your view? Do you agree or disagree? Well, we don't need more regulations. That's for sure. Uh, you know, regulations are not the answer. I mean, FTX would have happened even without regulators. Uh, in fact, this scam might still be going on if FTX were regulated. You know, Bernie Madoff uh, pulled off his Ponzi scheme for a lot longer than FTX. Uh, and a lot more money, I think, was involved. Uh, but the reason it went on for so long is because he operated under the cover of the regulators. He had the SEC. He had uh, the NASD, now FINRA. But if you go back to the original Ponzi scheme, Ponzi, right? his scheme didn't even last a year. There were no regulators there. So the market quickly put an end to Ponzi before too many people lost too much money. But because of the regulators, the current Ponzi you know, promoters, they, they actually end up stealing a lot more money. So I, I don't think we need more regulation. We actually need less regulation. You know, we, we didn't even have the SEC until 1932. The New York mm -hmm. Stock Exchange started in 1792. So we had 140 years of no SEC. I think we had a much better market, more efficient. Uh, I think there was less fraud uh, back then than there is now. Uh, but so as far as these comments on Bitcoin, look, more regulation is going to hurt the industry. It's not going to help the industry because the whole selling point of crypto was its lack of regulation. That was like why it was existed to circumvent. You don't uh, think the banks. institutional investors would feel more comfortable with more regulation? No, that was that was the thought process. You see, mm -hmm. if you think of Bitcoin as like a pyramid scheme, and a couple of years ago, a lot of these retail investors had got in and now they needed more buyers and they were trying to entice the institutions to come in because they had the big firepower. And so in order to make it you know, marketable to the institutions, that's when they started talking about, oh, we need regulation, we need regulation. Um, but I think now, given that there was a big collapse because the whole institutional interest was all the FOMO. Like, hey, look at this thing. It's the best performing asset. You got to get in on it. If you don't get in, you're going to miss out. How yeah. are you going to explain to your investors that you missed this greatest investment opportunity? So I don't think the institutional demand is going to be there anyway. So I don't think no matter how much regulation you get, the institutions aren't going to want in, but the individuals are going to want out.
I mean, it, you're going to destroy the, the, whatever the use case was in, initially. And I don't think uh, Bitcoin in itself is big enough to start a financial crisis. I mean, yes, a lot of people are going to lose money in crypto. All okay. the money that was made in crypto is the money that's going to be lost. It was a zero sum game. And by the way, if you made money in crypto, don't necessarily count your chickens yet because you're going to get sued. <laughs> a lot of people that made money in crypto are going to get sued by the people who lost money in crypto. So at the end of the day, it may be the lawyers that end up with all the money, which unfortunately is, is, is normally the case. But to the extent that anybody loaned money against crypto assets, yeah, they're going to lose because those loans are going to go into default and the collateral is not going to have any value. But it's, it's, it, crypto is kind of like the tip of a much bigger iceberg, right? So when crypto crashes because of leverage and speculation, then a lot of other companies are going to collapse. It's not crypto in isolation. It's just, it's just the weakest leak link in a, in a very uh, weak chain. Uh, so everything is going to unravel, but it's not going to be crypto. But certainly a lot of money was wasted in crypto. I mean, think about all the energy that went into creating Bitcoin. I mean, we could have used that energy productively. Instead, we squandered it, mm. producing nothing. Think about all these blockchain companies and crypto companies that have been started, that have hired some really bright kids out of college that could have been doing something productive with their with their time and their minds and said they wasted it on all this nonsense you know and this is all a function of what the fed did i mean this is the malinvestment that you create uh when you artificially suppress interest rates and and it's you the, cause everybody to act you know like a bunch of idiots it's the fed's fault indirectly that the ftx collapsed uh, yes. i'm just gonna end it on i'm just gonna end it on this one question and i'll let you go peter that that was a very good discussion thank you for your time there's this conspiracy theory out there that you're just trying to push down the price of bitcoin with all this fud <laughs> and so you're buying it at the bottom yourself can you settle this once and for all for us <laughs> well first of all we're nowhere near the bottom okay and I have no intention to buy Bitcoin, nor do I have any influence on Bitcoin, because the whole time Bitcoin was going up, I was saying the same thing. It didn't stop it from going up. <laughs> so no one cares. In fact, the more there's actually programs out there that people wrote, like whenever I tweet about Bitcoin, they automatically buy Bitcoin on these programs. Like it's like you buy the ship and they, they launch these programs when Bitcoin was around 60,000. And so, you know, Did they make what, money? It was a very good. Of course, not everybody. You should you should short <laughs> Bitcoin every time I talk about it. You'd have made a ton of money. But you know, so you know, the, the more I talk negative about Bitcoin, the more everybody wants to buy it. So you know, right. it's not my fault that, that it's coming down. But it's it, like now the bubble has popped, and so it, it's going to keep coming down. Now people still want to make fun of me and say, "Well, Peter, you know, if you'd have bought it ten years ago, you're still ahead." Yes, okay, but most people bought it a year ago, two years ago, three years ago. They're way behind. Yeah. And in another couple of years, even the people that bought it 10 years ago will be losing money. All right, we'll save this uh, conversation for another time. That was uh, anyway, great discussion. And uh, Peter, happy new year. Uh, Merry, uh, Merry Christmas, happy holidays. And uh, thank you for coming on Kitco. Yeah, thanks, David, uh, for having me on. And yes, uh, happy holidays. Merry Christmas. Happy Hanukkah. Happy New Year uh, to everybody listening uh, to you and your family. And, uh, you know, it's going to be a very interesting 2023, to say the least. I think it's going to be very profitable for the Kitco viewers who own gold, uh, but a lot of other people are going to have a, a rough time. All right. Well, well, let's keep tabs on that and uh, look forward to working with you again in the new year.